The Mojave Desert along the Pacific Crest Trail is full of rattlesnakes, scorpions, and long stretches of trail with no water. It forces you to earn every mile, tests your mettle before you reach the Sierra Mountains. This is Ratatouille, and you're listening to Trailside Radio. Certainly the, I mean the desert's, I don't know, could be probably say it's 700 miles of purgatory before all the good stuff comes. There was a storm rolling in in the desert and we had walked for 10 miles together and we came, it was really, really tough and we came to this this bridge with um, a box of pastries and bananas and just so unexpected because it was expecting to you know, um, endure the storm through the night. Part of the problem here is there, there, there's usually water sources, but people don't know where to look. So uh, people have been going down to Yellow Jagged Springs and failing to find it and coming back up and having to walk out the rest of the way without water. I got the opportunity to, to see something that no hiker is ever going to see. Welcome to Trailside Radio. Last week's episode left us at Lake Hughes, California, where I interviewed Trail Angel Terry Anderson at the Rock Inn. After our interview, she and another Trail Angel, Sand Dizzle, drove a dozen of us PCT hikers a couple more miles to the trailhead where the PCT resumes after a short closed section, and we all hiked together uh, that evening. I encountered uh, one angry rattlesnake just off the trail. That required us all to veer from the path a little bit. A little after dark, we reached the mile 500 marker, which inspired impromptu celebrations, a lot of singing of the Proclaimers' song 500 Miles, and a spontaneous talent show in which everyone was forced to sing a song for everybody else, whether they wanted to or not. Well, We're not sure it is not with you! 500 miles and I would walk 500 more Together in the end, 
I had to go. By my merry side, I wept and cried. I never been laid so low. She said, boy, when you first met me, you're as green as a mango tree. Ooh, but now you are a man. Go back to your land. But first listen carefully. And you can't smoke two pounds of Kelly or by yourself while trying to stand on your head. You never know what you got in this cruel world until you realize it's gone. Those who help us most to grow, if we let them, and we help them in return. Well, I don't know if I believe that's true, but I know I'm who I am today. Because I knew you, <laughs> like a comet pulled from orbit, as it passes the sun. It's good, it's like good, keep going. That meets a boulder in a distant world. Who can say if I've been changed for the better? I do believe I have been changed for the better. And because I knew you, because I knew you, because I I have been changed There's a hole in the bottom of the sea There's a hole in the bottom of the sea There's a hole There's a hole There's a hole in the bottom of the sea There's a log in the hole in the bottom of the sea There's a log in the hole in the bottom of the sea There's a hole There's a hole There's a hole in the bottom of the sea He's going to translate. New guy translating. Right? Okay. Let's go. Cuando iban a justiciarme las fuerzas reales de Pancho Villa. Mi voz de mando esperaste. Y te abalanzaste contra el pelotón.
Candy boy be handy. Handy! Overbound to Valapar, rise around the horn. Round horn! The Sweet the sin, bitter the taste in my mouth. I see seven towers, but I only see one way out. You got to cry without weeping, talk without speaking, scream without raising your voice. You know I took the poison. From the poison stream, then I floated out of here, singing ha, ha la 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 di dee, ha la la la. Little whiskey was passed around. Everyone patted each other on the back, and about a quarter mile past the marker, we found a closed a dirt road and all cowboy camped along the side. I decided to sleep in a little bit the next morning, so everyone else had headed out when I left. And I caught up to them that evening at Hiker Town, which is uh, one of the more unusual places along the trail that I've discovered so far. Um, they offer housing for hikers. Uh, I had a resupply box there waiting for me. It's a really unusual place. They have uh, sort of a mock Old West town. So some of the different rooms are labeled as the, the sheriff's and the post office and really just an unusual place altogether. Most of the crowd I hiked with the day before decided to spend the night at Hikertown. I decided to head out that evening and continue north. From Hikertown north, the PCT follows the Los Angeles aqueduct for quite a few miles. I only hiked about four miles along it that evening, trying my best not to step on the dozens if not hundreds of kangaroo rats that I saw along the trail in that stretch, and I camped uh, right on top of the aqueduct that night. The next morning, I was woken up as the crowd I had been hiking with caught up to me, and I joined them, and we hiked the rest of the stretch of the aqueduct together. It's not known for being one of the more beautiful sections of the Pacific Crest Trail. It's uh, pretty brutal, pretty flat. Uh, it's road hiking. Fortunately, it was a lot more fun to be hiking it with a group of really cool people. It made that section a lot more fun than it would have been on my own. By the end of the aqueduct section, I had fallen a little bit behind the group, but I caught up to them at a bridge a few miles later. Uh, where everyone was seeking shelter in, from the afternoon sun. And we all took a good nap for a couple of hours. I woke up about the same time and continued north. I had decided to make an unplanned stop in the town of Tehachapi, which is a short hitch or bus ride off the PCT and is one of the last good chances to hit a grocery store before entering the Sierra Mountains. By the morning that I got to the road, I had again fallen behind the group and so hitched into town on my own, got a ride pretty quickly from a gentleman in a white pickup truck and loaded my backpack into the back and got inside and got a ride into town. Unfortunately, within minutes of being dropped off into Hatchapi, I realized that I did not have my cell phone. I did start to panic a little bit. I wasn't so much attached to the material possession of the phone as I was attached to the several days worth of 
podcast editing that I had done that was on the phone. I had all of the raw interview audio still backed up on cards, but I had done quite a bit of editing at that point and was frustrated at the thought that I might have to do all of that over again, uh, not to mention buying a new phone and and so on and so forth. If it weren't for the podcast, I probably would have been relieved and uh, said, you know, this is meant to be. I'm going to do the rest of my through hike without a phone because I've got uh, paper maps of the trail and a compass. I don't need the phone for navigation or anything else, really. I can get in touch with friends and family when I get into town and Hundreds of people hiked the Pacific Crest Trail long before the cell phone technology we take for granted now was ever available, and it can certainly still be done today. There are still people on the trail who travel uh, without a cell phone or GPS unit at all. A lot of people who do carry a phone carry a little flip phone rather than a smartphone just to enjoy the break from all of the constant information and technology that we're overwhelmed with in our modern lives. So I spent most of the day in Tehachapi, reconnected with the group of people I'd been hiking with the last few days, and worked on coming up with uh, plans of what I was going to do if I wasn't able to locate my phone. That evening, the group I had been with uh, got a hitch back to the trail along Highway 58, which is about eight miles further up the trail than the road from which I had hitched into Tehachapi. But the same trail angels took me along with, and after dropping off the group, drove me down to Willow Springs to Hatchapi Road, where I had gotten my hitch. And there, laying by the side of the road, was my cell phone. It had been rained on, it had been hailed on that afternoon, it was covered in sand, but thanks to the life-proof case that I had it in, it was perfectly fine, no damage done. I sighed a huge sigh of relief, and spent the evening hiking the eight miles north to Highway 58 and camped there near the highway and the next morning caught a local bus back into Tehachapi to get some work done and finish up a few episodes, get them uploaded. Uh, uh, Ended up spending the weekend there, stayed at the Tehachapi airport that night. They allow hikers to stay at a park within the airport boundaries for $5 a night. And uh, other than the loud trains going by on the other side of the fence all night, it was a pretty neat place to stay. Uh, The next day, I had hoped to catch the afternoon bus back to the trail, but I didn't manage to get my work done in time. But I used that as an excuse to find a local sports bar and catch Game 5 of the NBA Finals. Being a big basketball fan who is having basketball withdrawal, having been on the trail since the playoffs started, Really enjoyed watching the game, cheering on the Golden State Warriors. I met a local couple while I was watching the game who offered me a ride back to the trail that evening. They left around halftime and gave me their phone number, and when the game was over, I called them up, and they gave me a lift back to the trail. So I headed up from Highway 58 that night into what is probably one of the most brutal stretches of the Pacific Crest Trail, uh, hiking through the Mojave Desert, There are a number of stretches from 20 miles to 40 miles long where there are no available water sources, uh, no water whatsoever. Sometimes there are water caches along the way, but they are not reliable. Especially this time of year, there were a couple of roads that have been washed out by recent mudslides. And the, the heat and the sun can be really brutal. 
Um, the Mojave Desert is not flat. There you're going up and down, a lot of elevation gain, um, hiking really hard in difficult conditions, carrying a lot of water. At a couple of points, I filled my water to capacity, which is 10 liters, which is 20 pounds of just water weight added onto your pack. It was about 20 miles to the first water source and another 20 miles to the next. Uh, through the Mojave, I continued to try to hike as early as I could in the morning, take several hours off in the hottest part of the day, and then hike into the evening, usually after dark, to get my miles in. And as I approached one of the water sources, uh, the sun had gone down, and it was just bright enough that I hadn't bothered putting on my headlamp. And I was within about a quarter of a mile of the next water source when I sensed just to my left off the trail a large black shape moving. And my first thought was bear, and I immediately just tiptoed backwards till I got far enough away that I felt comfortable taking off my pack and digging out my headlamp and putting it on. I put it on and shone it down the trail and immediately saw two eyes looking at me from off the trail and realized that they were too far apart to be the eyes of a bear. Quickly realized that it was, in fact, a cow. Now, it was the next day that things really took a turn for the worse for me. Uh, I spent the afternoon napping by the next water source. A few other hikers that I hadn't met came up and did the same. A little bit after dark, I was very quickly beset by nausea and diarrhea, and I started throwing up and felt really horrible. As illness quickly took over my body, I made the mistake of sitting down to rest for a few minutes by the side of the trail, only to sit on the anthill of some red ants that managed to crawl up my lower back and bite me several times, bites which became swollen and irritated for several days. I set up my hammock at the earliest opportunity and found a spot to dig myself a couple extra cat holes for any uh, emergency diarrhea and vomit needs, and I fell asleep that night wondering if I would be able to make it another 16 miles to the next water source the next day. But there was no cell phone signal in the area. I wasn't going to have any sort of uh, ability to contact someone for emergency help other than the other hikers who might come along the next day. So going to sleep that night, uh, my morale was at an all-time low. And I was really concerned for my health and the future of my trip.
the next day, I met two other hikers who had stopped nearby at a tree for some shade and a short rest. I went to talk to them. They were carrying enough water that they offered me a couple extra liters, which was enough to give me confidence to head on to the next water source instead of turning around and returning to the last one. Uh, the two hikers in question are brothers, uh, and one of them is hiking the PZT for a cause, and I took the opportunity to talk to the two of them about that. My name is Karen Young. I'm from England, originally born in Zimbabwe. Um, I lived there for 12 years before moving to England, and um, yeah, I'm 19 years of age, and I'm hiking the PCT. I'm his older brother, Scott, 21 years old. Um, also, obviously lived in Zimbabwe as well. My brother, this was my brother's plan to come and do this, and I finished university, and a few things didn't work well, work out the way I wanted to. Well, not badly, but it seemed like a pretty good alternative, so here I am. <laughs> Both of you have trail names at this point? Yes. Uh, although mine, uh, my trail name, I think it might be unique in the way that I kind of started with. I started with it. Um, it's not as organic as It's not people's. as organic as other people's, but for the last sort of year and a half, I've been um, trying to raise money for uh, the mountain gorillas and the gorillas. Um, I've been trying to raise money for a charity called the Gorilla Organization. Uh, which is actually British, um, not American, and um, for the last year and a half I've been raising awareness and raising money and doing all sorts of presentations and other things for to raise money for gorillas. How did you first get involved in doing work to support gorillas? Well, it was it wasn't the walk came first. So for the last two years I've wanted to do this walk. Um, and it was kind of like I'm doing this really big walk. It's a really long way. I'm sure I can I can make a big difference, not a big difference, but I can make a difference through this walk. And uh, around the same time, it was actually elephants. Uh, 300 elephants were were killed by cyanide poisoning in Wangi National Park in Zimbabwe, uh, the country where I used to live. And it was that that kind of really got me, really got me. Um, thinking about conservation and thinking about animals and endangered species and um, also around the same time as this I read an article in National Geographic about I think it was called Who Murdered the Virunga Gorillas and it was about this group of gorillas called the Rugundo family and how they had been murdered how their hands had been sold as lucky charms and how all mountain gorillas get getting poached for bushmeat, how there's oil companies in the area and how there's rebel rebel groups in the area and how 140 rangers, over 140 rangers have been have been murdered so far protecting the mountain gorillas and it was that that really it, at the time it, it made me quite angry and inspired me inspired me to do something do something fairly small about it so that's kind of where you know where it all started from and also at around the same time walking in my in my local market um, in England really in the middle of nowhere place and I saw um, a famous gorilla conservationist uh, who I'd seen giving awareness speeches on YouTube so I, I wasn't sure if it was him because it was just quite a ridiculous coincidence and 
I walked up to him, I introduced myself and I said, excuse me sir, are you a famous, the, the famous gorilla conservationist? Um, it was OBE Ian Redmond who was mentored by Diane Fossey and who's been working in conservation for gorillas and elephants for the last 20-25 years and uh, I told him what I wanted to do, I told him I wanted to walk a really long way for gorillas and he said he could help me out. Um, he's chairman of the, of the charity I'm, I'm raising money for, the gorilla organization. That's where it all, uh, it all happened. How did you first decide that you wanted to hike the Pacific Crest Trail? Um, I found out originally about the Appalachian Trail. In England, uh, these, these trails aren't, aren't well known at all. And uh, one of my friends found uh, his dad had walked, the app, walked part of the Appalachian Trail. And uh, when I was 16, um, we made a, a plan to, to walk the Appalachian Trail together. But he left, he left the school I was at. and. Um, the idea just patted out, but it kind of still, there was still a couple of sparks in my head, and um, I found out through that about the PCT and the CTD, and the PCT just appealed to me the most. It's just such a beautiful, beautiful trail that just traverses through, you know, desert, mountain, lake, and forest, and, you know, there's not many places in the world where that happens, and, you know, the idea of spending four months on the PCT was was uh, most appealing to me and that's uh, that's why I chose it so you said four months four months was the was the goal um, we'll think? see how that okay. we'll see how that uh, well, how that we're happens. On target for it we've yeah, we've been walking be. less than a month now I think, I think it's about 28 day I think 20th day yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely doable yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're yeah, gonna have think. to speed up a bit, but yeah. we we actually started probably a bit, a bit stupidly at 25 miles a day. We did that for the first four days, and he was well. We both were absolutely shattered, and mm -hmm. uh, um, we slowed down a bit after that as we started meeting more people and walking with more people. And um, we've just in the last week and a half, two weeks, we've started building up the pace. Our our personal best is 42 miles. We uh, through hiked across the Mojave, and it was still a bit a bit stupid because we could have just we took a narrow in the morning, and then hiked through the night till the next morning, and we could have just walked in the morning and walked in the evening and then walked the next morning, but we decided we'd go for it, and uh, yeah, that's how that's how best so far. So we know we can we can put in some decent miles if we need to. And most people don't put in those kinds of miles till they get to Oregon. Yeah, we're waiting for that. We hear that. 30 or 40 miles is is um, the the norm in Oregon. So mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Some people do the entire trail and never do a single 20 mile day. So yeah, yeah. hike. As long as you're enjoying it. Sometimes, I mean, we fluctuate a lot. Sometimes we walk like we walked like 13, 14 miles yesterday. We just fluctuate, and then sometimes it's fun to just kill ourselves and earn a zero at the end it's just done it depends what we're doing if we've, we like finding a nice group of people and we'll slow down and that, that's probably the for me anyway that's the best part I mean big days are fun sometimes but the best part is the people you meet and you tend to have better experiences when you're just with people what's the highlight been so far the highlight oh well it's interesting I mean the wilderness highlight is it's probably for me the San Jacinto Mountains. Um, 
just coming out of the desert into the pine trees and uh, just that the smell of you know the scent of pine and oh, it was just so beautiful um, but the highlight of the probably the social non-wilderness highlight is um, we've met a couple of really amazing trail angels along the way and at one point there was a it was a big group of us well there were six of us and yeah, we were in Idlewild we were in Idlewild and this trail yeah her, she was amazing and uh, for two days we just had we were just treated like kings and um, the six of us just had an amazing amazing time yeah it was kind of like we met these there was there was six of us these four other guys and we'd known them for three days but like the camaraderie between us was we'd known them for years trail, six trail. years and it, it was just it was such a cool sort of feeling like you hardly know each other really but you're all in the same place and just a day such a good time yeah a day on the trail with a with a person is like is like a year you can <laughs> really nice. become friends and get to know people when when you're on the trail doing the same thing it's uh, the six of us were pretty close we were like i don't know the fellowship of the the lord of the rings the fellowship is quite a it's quite a strong yeah, yeah. we were drawing comparisons to that yeah we were, we were drawing together, comparisons but, yeah. The fellowship had to break, like it does in the book. <laughs> yeah, it's quite. It was quite sad because one of the one of the people, um, his trail name is Jurassic Crack uh, slash Lover Boy, and um, we had walked with him for two weeks, and we had met him at a really. It was a really bad and incredible moment. We had walked. We had walked like 28 miles. Um, that day and it was there was a storm rolling in in the desert and we had walked for 10 miles together and we came it was really really tough and we came to this this bridge with um a box of pastries and like best apple, yeah bananas and just so unexpected because it was expecting to you know um endure this storm through the night and we we arrived together and like since then we were you know that shared experience just made an incredible bond and he walked with us for two weeks and then it was quite sad because kind of realized that you know we, we were going a lot faster and he was i don't know didn't want to go as far he could have gone but he, he was had other intentions and uh yeah it was quite sad leaving him really but that's the trail i guess now you have a website set up for your fundraising for gorilla conservation, is that right? Yeah, um, the website is called uh, gorillawalker.com. Um, on it I'm posting photos and, and videos um, and writing blog blogs when I can, but you can track me, track me as I go on the map. Um, and through that you can you can go to my just giving uh, my just giving website uh, with my just giving page, which is Again, uh, just giving um, slash Gorilla Walker, and through that you can donate to the Gorilla Organization and help with uh, mountain gorilla conservation. There's, there's actually, you know, I haven't, I haven't really spoken that. Well, I've spoken a little bit about the mountain gorillas, but there's actually, there's only 880 left on the planet, um, and like I said, they've got so many, so many threats on all sides and. Yeah, they need all the help they can get, and there's 880 on the entire planet, and they're they're all based um, on these two sort of um, two little 
little bit bits of mountain. Um, one is called Bwindi and the other is called Virunga. And on all sides they're kind of being encroached by humans. Um, you, there is a definitive line uh, where the mountain begins and there's a there's a borderline where there's just farmland and heaps of people and then you know forest and jungle where the where the mountain gorillas live and those are the only two places on the planet where where they've well they've they've been cut down to and the number one threat is poachers is that right or probably poachers um, I mean human encroachment is a just running out of habitat is is also a problem they're kind of at the point where they can't because there's so little of them left they can't become a big population again uh, mm -hmm. within their boundaries of of, of land mm -hmm. um, but the biggest threats are probably poaching um, are they looking for oil in Virunga? They, they were looking for oil that is that has stopped now um, it was there was an oil company called Soko which is a British based and they had gone in there with the intention of exploring the national park where there's only 880 um, critically endangered mountain gorillas left uh, exploring the area for oil and because of the they made a documentary called Virunga which was I think was Oscar nominated um, and because of kind of partly because of that documentary they got kicked out and they had all sorts of dealings with they were paying the rebel forces there um, uh, to you know work within the area and it was all sort of under the table really bad really bad stuff and thankfully they've left but yeah the mountain gorillas still face still face a lot of threats as I said over 140 rangers have been have been killed so far protecting them. What's been the biggest challenge of your hike so far? Or has it been smooth sailing? I think for me um, I've lost a lot of weight I wasn't too big to start with and uh, Kieran, well, not he posted. There was a photo of me coming down. We had like a like a 26 mile day through the desert trying to get to that campground at Acton, mm -hmm. and I was probably a bit dehydrated and I wasn't feeling so good. And he took a photo of me, and I just looked so skinny. And the hardest part was the aftermath of the photo because I had my dad on the phone trying to convince him that no, Dad, I'm still fine. You don't need to send me food. <laughs> <laughs> but then I did kind of, I looked in the mirror afterwards and I was like, geez, what am I going to look like in three more months? <laughs> so I don't know, it's, it's playing on my mind a little bit. I mean, I feel fine. Well, I have felt tired, but that's expected. But yeah, it's kind of my biggest worry. Yeah, Certainly the, I mean, the deserts, I don't know, could be probably say it's 700 miles of purgatory before all the good stuff comes. Hopefully it'll be worth it, mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. The bad moments. Uh, it's probably... Kieran doesn't feel anything. He doesn't feel any pain. <laughs> it's all good for him. It's not all good. It's probably worrying. It's not worrying about Scott, but, you know, when you're walking with someone, you'd like to... Everything is, you know, how does Scott feel right now? How does Scott feel if, if we walk another 10 miles? Or how does Scott feel about st stopping now? You know, does he want to carry on? And that's a uh, that has been the hardest part. But it's definitely when I've been walking. Carrying me along. When I've when I've been walking alone, it's definitely not a worry. You just do what you want to do and hike your own hike. But because we're together, it's yeah. definitely 
it's it's a team it's a team effort and everything is you know joint decisions and you know if if I'm having a good day and he's having a bad day then it's it's terrible and it's the same if it's the other way around and that's probably it's quite difficult because you know it's not hiker and hike it's hike hour and hike and um, that's been interesting an interesting part of this walk so far one thing that is that we both noticed you know um along the way the people you meet and the people hiking the PCT and the people who look after the hike look after the people hiking the PCT all a special special group of people and uh if I could say thanks to everyone who's hiking and who's looking after the people hiking, then I would thank you. I, I owe you guys a thank you because you've done the same for me. And having met you as I'm just getting through my my toughest day, my toughest night of my entire hike, mm-hmm. I've been dealing with vomiting in the middle of a long waterless stretch and 45 miles of unreliable <laughs> yeah. water is the worst place. Yeah, and I was uh, just about ready to go hike four miles back to the last water source today to play it safe, but you guys were generous in sharing enough water with me that I'll be able to push on tonight. Yeah, oh, no worries. Well, we've yeah. had, uh, we've been given plenty so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah. But, so, thank you guys. No worries. No problem. Best of luck on the rest of your hike. Yeah, thanks. You too. Thank you. I ended up waiting until early evening to head out, and at this point I was feeling pretty good. My diarrhea had gone away. I wasn't attempting to eat any food at this point. I was focused more on trying to keep water down. Um, After a couple miles of hiking, I started throwing up again. And so at that point, I pushed on to get as many miles as I could that night and get myself as close to a water source as possible. Um, Got myself within about nine miles, had one liter left. I called it a night, and the next morning, I was able to make that liter stretch for seven of those nine miles, hiked the last two miles dry, Stomach flu was gone, but I was still feeling pretty weak. It took me a while for my stomach to get right, so I took it easy on myself. I tried to get my miles in, but uh, when my body said that it needed to rest, I would listen and find some shade and stop for a few minutes. Uh, It was at the last water source for 42 miles leading up to Walker Pass that I met a couple from Southern California. He was carrying a plastic trumpet that he plays along the trail and they informed me that they had friends of theirs and family from Long Beach who would be meeting them at Walker Pass with barbecue and beverages that weekend to share not only with them but with other hikers as well so I made it my goal to reach Walker Pass in time for the barbecue Uh, loaded up uh, 10 liters of water a full 20 extra pounds on my pack weight and headed out but not before being serenaded by a plastic trumpet.
camped that night at Kelso Road, where there was, at the time, a small water cache. And I was woken up uh, in the middle of the night, about 3 a.m., by really, really heavy winds. I was just cowboy camping. There was no place to hang my hammock. So I laid down on a Tyvek ground sheet and used my hammock underquilt, called an underquilt because it hangs underneath the hammock to provide warmth on the bottom when I'm hanging in the hammock. And when I sleep on the ground, I just use it as an overquilt and lay it on top of me. And when the winds came through, it was just whipping around, and I'm able to strap it down to myself. But the winds were blowing so hard, there was no way I was falling back asleep. So I packed up my stuff and shoved my sleeping gear back into the bottom of my backpack and hiked out early that morning, put in a few miles before the sun even rose. Uh, the sunrise that morning was really beautiful. But just as it was coming up over the horizon, I was startled by the sound of a rattlesnake only a couple of feet away from me, hidden behind a bush. And it was I looked down and it was a Mojave Green, which are known as the most aggressive type of rattlesnake you'll find. It was coiled up and ready to strike. And in my moment of panic, I couldn't decide between walking backwards or turning around. So I sort of tried to attempt to do both at the same time and tripped over my own feet and fell backwards on top of a cactus and was covered head to toe in inch long white cactus needles and looked up and realized I was still within striking distance of the snake and crawled away bleeding and when I stood up I realized that I had that I'd hurt my left foot pretty bad and I made my way looping off trail around the snake saw another Mojave green about 200 yards down the trail but it was laying in the middle of the trail so I was able to give it a wide berth I saw it well in advance but my foot was hurting pretty bad. I attempted to walk it off, and by about midday, uh, most of the pain has, had subsided. It was still pretty sore, but I felt confident that it would be all right. My stomach was still a little queasy. I wasn't throwing up anymore. Uh, I was very confident that um, my, the bug had passed, that I didn't have anything I'd have to get to town for antibiotics for, but I was still feeling really weak. So I made myself push on, limping along through the hot desert sun with a weak stomach and plenty of fatigue.
evening as I approached a pass at which there had been a water cache for several weeks, but I knew that there was not supposed to be any water there as that was one of the places where the road had been washed out by mudslides. And as I approached the pass, I started to have daydreams uh, about getting a ride to Walker Pass. I felt I was maybe pushing myself a little too hard, but that I couldn't afford to slow down because I was using my 10 liters faster than I should and wasn't sure that it was going to stretch all the way. And my foot was still hurting, and I started to have visions of a trail angel waiting for me at the pass. In particular, I started to imagine a trail angel named Devilfish, who had helped me out already twice on the trail, and he's been traveling along the trail this year. He's a former thru-hiker who has been helping out lots of hikers in different locations. I had a very intense image of him being there at the pass, even though I knew the road was washed out and that no one would be there. And when I got there, there was uh, another hiker that I had been leapfrogging with, and there was about two liters of water left in the cache. Uh, Neither of us were willing to touch it because we didn't have a bad enough emergency to use the very last two liters of water. But about ten minutes after I arrived, who comes rolling up a different road from the opposite direction but Devilfish? He was there to provide one final drop-off of water at that location, uh, the last that will be provided this year. So by the time this podcast comes out, the cache there is almost certainly dry. At that point, Devilfish was headed north and was going my direction. And while on one hand I was reluctant to skip miles, at this point the only two sections of trail where I had hitched ahead were places where the trail itself was was closed and this is the first time that I did in fact hitch around uh, about 20 to 23 miles of trail um, due to an injured foot and the lack of water and uh, just my general physical state that I was really running on empty Uh, had just only been able to start holding down food and was still very dehydrated and so I set my pride aside and decided to take care of myself and got a ride up to Walker Pass from Devilfish. Uh, do you mind starting off? Just introduce yourself with, my, you know, my name is... Uh, my name is... My name is... <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I was looking for. Right. Uh, well, uh, Scott Matheson, Devilfish, trail angel and very, very slow through hiker. I hiked the PCT last year in took me seven and a half months. Uh, uh, 2013, I was out here and I did, oh, I don't know, 1,500 miles or something like that. And I wound up getting caught in that that big snowstorm we had two years ago uh, in the last low spot before Hearts Pass. Mm -hmm. A lot of people didn't finish that year because of that. Right, exactly, the last weekend of September. So uh, it's, it's been a while out here for me. I sort of have a short attention span so I only do things for a few years at a time so in in dog years or whatever you want to call it I've been out on this this trail for for, for quite a bit now. so what have you been doing this year well so I started in Julian uh, right around kickoff actually doing trail angeling I had sort of grandiose plans to to, I have a little portable grill in the back of my van. I had grandiose plans to get out and cook and do all sorts of 
crazy hijinks, but mostly it's been uh, shuttling people back and forth to trail towns or uh, whatever oddball locations they need to get to, and then uh, I've been gradually progressing every couple weeks, a couple hundred miles up the trail up to uh, this point here at Walker Pass where I've been doing mostly water caching uh, up in the Tehachapi Mountains where we have these long uh, long water gaps and people people don't like the like the water sources they find here so <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and I've been doing a, a little bit of food caching and uh, related stuff but mo- mostly shuttling and a little bit of water caching what inspired you to do that this year well so uh, I love I love the trail corridor uh, I love all of these mountains uh, wanted to wanted to be out here but I also sometimes when you're hiking for months at a time you get this uh, this sense of existential crisis you might say like what, what am I what am I doing this for so I was looking for a way to to be to feel that uh, my participation in the trail experience had some meaning to others, you know, so, uh, and, you know, socially, I, I meet a whole lot of, I'm much more socially connected here than, than I was hiking, uh, you meet a lot more people this way than, than, uh, or at least I do, uh, as, as a hiker. Mm-hmm. And we just rolled up here to Walker Pass and got out of the vehicle and it was a random assortment of hikers and most of them knew who you were uh yeah of course i couldn't couldn't see them so i couldn't uh uh i i because my headlamp was off so uh i was really unable to identify them but that's one of the pitfalls of this is that uh i'm much more easily recognizable to them than they are to me so people will come up and start conversations with me and i'll have no idea what's going on that's why, I, even though I've met you twice, the first thing I did when I saw you today was introduce myself because I know with the amount of hikers you've helped this year, I, I don't expect you to remember everybody. Yeah, well, you know, I can barely remember people that I've, I've worked with for years. So I'm very, <laughs> my my memory is very porous even under the best of circumstances. So, so I first met you. You gave me and. A lot of other people arrived up from the Paradise Valley Cafe to Idlewild, right, around right, the trail yes. closure there. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you have a, an estimate of how many people you might have shuttled while you were doing that stretch? Well, um, I think I was there for for what uh, two weeks was it? Uh, let's pretend it was two weeks. And if I obviously. More more people shuttled from the trailhead to Paradise Valley Cafe than because I, I I like saving people that that last one and a half miles because you know you psychologically having to do that extra extra time is is harder than having to do one and a half trail miles right so but uh, setting those people aside I was probably doing I don't know um, let's say three three carloads a day so call it. Uh, you know, 25 people a day for two weeks. That's uh, your. That adds adds up pretty quick, right? That's about yeah, that's uh, a few hundred people. Yeah, several hundred people easily, and you know, most people were were doing some form of uh, 
of Roadwalk, and there were lots of people getting hitches from, from other people. So you get a sense of how many people there are out in the trail in, in that bubble. What, what do you have planned for the rest of your season? Well, uh, this being the first time I've attempted anything like this, uh, trying to remain flexible, of course, but uh, I'm headed up to, uh, to Lone Pine and Independence right now. I'm probably just going to pop in very briefly and see the trailheads there. Probably not the best shuttling opportunities, but I'm headed towards Sonora Pass because that's one place where uh, hikers really tend to pile up because there's no traffic there, but uh, most people resupply out of there. It'd be a pretty pretty long resupply to go all the way to uh, Echo Lake. So you'll see a dozen... <laughs> A dozen desperate hikers lined up on on the side of the road, which of course is not conducive to get uh, getting uh, vehicles to stop and pick up hitchhikers. So I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna shuttle there for a while. Then I have I'm doing trail maintenance with the uh, with the crew that's going out of Red's Meadow on June 26, and then after that. Uh, my parents are flying out, so we're going to visit San Francisco. And then after that, uh, we'll see. Uh, I sort of suspect that we're going to have fire closures starting up in July, so new, new fires. Uh, so I'm trying to keep things flexible from that point. Have you been getting any hiking in? Uh, not as much as I would have liked. When I start this, I said, oh, yeah, I'm going to hike 10 miles a day. It's going to be great. So... I mean, I went up Baden-Powell and Mount Williamson and uh, hiked around uh, uh, most of the, the fire alternates around Idlewild and so forth. So I've, I've got some hiking in, but I need to do more because, uh, you know, working out of Red's Widow, I need some, some altitude training. So I'm going to try, try to do more of that. Get yourself acclimatized to the yeah, altitude exactly. before you're yeah. doing the difficult work of trail maintenance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, even... <laughs> Even hiking up Baden-Powell, I was huffing and puffing, but that starts down pretty low, so I think that was mostly psychological mm -hmm. uh, rather than actual altitude effects. I think it's only, what, 6,600 6, or something at the base of Baden-Powell, so that's, that's not... definitely too low for, for altitude. Uh, but yeah, I definitely need to, to get in shape. I don't know how, how intense this particular session is going to be, but... Uh, I imagine people will be pretty gung-ho. Uh, it sounds like uh, for a lot of people this is their, you know, their adventure vacation. They go out and do trail maintenance in Red's Meadow. Do you have any personal favorite spots along the PCT? Uh, well, uh, the the northernmost section of Washington, if you get there in, in sunshine, is spectacular. Uh, it's almost all ridge walking, basically, once you get up from Rainy Pass on top of, uh, you know, Cutthroat and Meadow, all the way to the border, and you have this incredible view, and you see into Hart's Pass, and you realize it's Hart's Pass, and, you know, you're almost there, etc., and you go up to, uh, uh, you know, you keep going, and you go to Hopkins Lake, which is like six miles from the border, and, you know, everybody's around the, around the lake there camping out, and it's, you know, you have this sort of... Uh, incredible shared sense of accomplishment, even if it's not necessarily, you know, spoken, right? I guess as far as the single best trail feature, there's one place, uh, if you go up uh, Castle Crags in Northern California, uh, you go up above the crags, 
there's this one campsite where you see uh, you see Mount Chasta, which is this incredible volcano, which you see for hundreds of miles. But it's right there, and it's staring down at you. And then you're looking down on Castle Crags, which is this huge granite formation, but it looks like a little toy model because you're up so high. And then on the other side, you see all the way out to uh, to Bernie, and you see the uh, the lights from the the uh, wind turbines all the way out there, and it's this incredible panorama. I, I would say that's that's the best trail feature, in my, my opinion. It's certainly been been interesting meeting people. Um, it's uh, it's interesting to see how many different people are out doing doing podcasts or documentaries or or whatnot. I don't know if that's uh, that's part of a, a product of the uh, the democratization of the that comes with the information age. You know, uh, ten years ago. None of this would have been possible, right? Let alone 30 years ago. Oh, sure, yeah. Even five years ago, there was, you know, few people even blogging from the trail because right. the technology was just still getting there to make it possible. Absolutely, absolutely. I definitely appreciate uh, all you've been doing for hikers. You. It's a, it's a fine line for me between publicizing the caching that's going on so that people will know they have as a resource versus... Uh, 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 being in a situation where people are expecting something that's not going to be delivered. So, for example, we had this tremendous uh, uh, localized thunderstorm over the weekend, which uh, it hardly rained. It didn't rain in the area at all, but just right on top of uh, Bird Spring Pass right there, put out 1.6 inches of rain in, in an hour and cut the, cut the road approach uh, from the west up to Bird Spring Pass. So... Even though I ordinarily, you know, I'm, I'm unlike, you know, some pe- some trail angels just, you know, happen to show up on the weekend and drop some water and leave. But, you know, e- even even when you have a more committed trail angel, the road could get washed out at any time. Uh, the the car could uh, the car could get get wrecked and wind up in the body shop for a few days. Uh, so uh, it's it's really much better to to be able to rely on natural water sources, which are always going to be there. Mm-hmm. Part of the problem here is there, there, there's usually water sources, but people don't know where to look. So uh, people have been going down to Yellow Jacket Springs and failing to find it and coming back up and having to walk out the rest of the way without water. Uh, there's also, it turns out, for example, there's, there's cow ponds down in, down in the valley, but people don't know about them, so they don't go to them. So... Uh, if, uh, you know, if people had a broader perspective, then this, this, this stretch would be much easier. But, mm-hmm. uh, if you're proactive, uh, you, uh, you shouldn't, uh, you should be able to get out of emer- emergency situations in here. We're not really isolated, like, you know, we might be in some other places, but, uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's important to be proactive, though. So, you know, I've yeah. occasionally heard... People saying, "Oh well, if you get in trouble, you can you can sit here and wait for sit at this road crossing and wait for devilfish." Which I <laughs> I, I, I discourage that sort of thinking. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's yeah. much better to be proactive and go go looking for help because yeah. there's probably broader resources than the resource that you're you're wishing will show up there. Part of being self-sufficient is understanding that uh, eventually you'll be in situations which go beyond what you've planned for, and mm-hmm. being able to react effectively to that. Mm-hmm. Right on. 
I hope you've been uh, having fun this summer. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's been great to uh, to see the trail corridor because you know as a hiker you have such a such a, a limited narrow view of everything, and it turns out that most of the most beautiful things in the trail corridor are actually off the trail. So uh, it's 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 such an opportunity to be able to get that broader view uh, in this in this rainstorm. Uh, there we had some incredible flash flooding, uh, so we got to go down into into the valley and see this incredible uh, mud flow that looked like chocolate mud, uh, but like uh, it, it really looked like uh, something out of Willy Wonka, you know, <laughs> just tearing through the desert in a place where you know just this minor indentation where you wouldn't imagine that you'd e- ever even see water. So. Uh, I got the opportunity to to see something that no hiker is ever going to see, uh, mm-hmm. just because I happened to to be in the right place at the right time and uh, happened to have a the opportunity for 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 that broader perspective. So I've had various experiences like that out here, and it's really it's it's been a it's been a pleasure, and of course a pleasure to. To, to meet more people than I would have otherwise. Thanks for supporting all of us hikers, and good luck with the rest of your uh, adventures this summer and beyond. Sure, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Trailside Radio. You can reach me at trailsideradio.com or email me at trailsideradio at gmail.com. If you have a question about the trail or my experience or the podcast, that you would like answered on the podcast, just add the word mailbag to the subject line. I'd like to thank 821 for allowing me to use his song Hearns in this episode. You can find links to his music in the notes for this episode. Hopefully the next episode will come out uh, next Tuesday, like regular, although I will be in the Sierra Mountains, and so there's a chance I won't make it to town in time to get that next episode out. So if I miss a week following this episode, please forgive me. Much love to all of you who are listening out on the trail, listening at home, listening at work, and everywhere in between. This is Trailside Radio, over and out.